Uh, this morning, I'm glad that we're together. Uh, I enjoyed not being here last week. I confess that. Uh, but it's not a sin. Uh, we enjoyed time with Megan's family down in Texas, and my folks came down as well. It was good to see everybody. Uh, I'm grateful to Philip Miller, uh, who brought the word last week and helped finish us out of Genesis. But this week, we're going to go to a new book of the Bible with our series, right? We're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. So I'd encourage you to grab your copy of God's word and let's look at Daniel this morning. And some of the stuff that Jeremy was talking about is exactly the reason that we're looking at this book of Daniel. Uh, We're living in a world, we're living in a society that is increasingly shifting, increasingly changing away from what most of us grew up expecting. We're finding ourselves in the midst of a culture that is radically different than the culture we expected or the culture we grew up with. Uh, Different values, different norms, different everything. And the moment comes for us where we have to say, how do we do this? How do we live faithfully as Christ followers in this moment, in this moment of change, in this moment of difference, in this moment of even opposition coming from the culture, how do we be faithful here in this moment? And, and I use the, the title here as we're walking through this, uh, several of us are going to be preaching in this series, but, but we use this title of Between Two Worlds. Right? We as Christ followers have submitted ourselves, we've allied ourselves with the kingdom of God. Right? Our activity is supposed to be spiritual activity as we go through our days. And we need to keep that in mind. That's the, that's the world where our allegiance lies. That's the, that's the world where our citizenship is. And yet we find ourselves here in this country, in this place, wherever the Lord uh, places us, we find ourselves living in that world as well. And this is a a tension where we know what's coming, we know what scripture says, and and we ought to be longing for the establishment of the kingdom, but nonetheless, we have to move and live in this current moment as well. How do we navigate this space here between two worlds? That's the question we're going to be looking at because Daniel's dealing with something very similar. If you've found the book of Daniel, good job. If you, if you haven't yet, um, good luck. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's, it's right after Ezekiel. Uh, you get into the prophets there and, and we'll be looking at chapter one here in just a second. But Daniel's navigating a situation very similar, very analogous to what we're walking through today. Uh, Daniel was one of the royal family, and we'll see that in the text in just a second. He was a prince of the nation of Israel, but he's not in Israel. When we catch up with Daniel, he's been carried off into a foreign land that has come in and conquered the nation that he calls home. And they've carried off the cream of the crop, if you will, to Babylon. And and he finds himself now as a citizen of Israel, even as one of the ruling members of that nation. And yet he finds himself living in a foreign land, not just a foreign land, but one that is directly opposed to the land of his birth. And how he navigates that and how his friends who are with him navigate that, I think is very instructive for us. And that's what we're going to be looking at. And uh, as we walk through this book, we're going to walk through the the whole book. We're not going to be going through it every verse, but especially this first Sunday as we start, I want to read chapter one with you. So if you've got a copy there in front of you, I'd encourage you to follow along beginning in verse one. 
Daniel chapter one, verse one. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon to the house of his God and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Among them, from the Judahites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave the name Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Now, everybody still with me? Now, I took a lot of grief last time I was in this pulpit for not reading all the names in Genesis chapter 10. So I just want to point out, I read all the names there, okay? We all on the same page still? All right. Uh, let's keep going. Verse eight, Daniel determining that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king who assigned your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men of your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief eunuch had assigned to him, to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, I know that our kids are with us this morning. Kids, when you hear that statement and they gave them vegetables, what do you think? You're thinking of broccoli, aren't you? Yeah, broccoli. Everybody, everybody's giving me a thumbs up to broccoli. All the kids like broccoli, yeah? Uh, so this is really important. I feel like this needs to be said, parents as well. Uh, Daniel chapter one is not a proof text for getting your kids to eat their vegetables. Uh, the word there is anything that's grown from seed, all right? So it does include broccoli, yes and amen, but it also includes bread, just so we're all clear uh, about what the Daniel diet was. But nonetheless, the assumption is that the king's food was meant to produce health. It was meant to produce this, this physique that would lead them to say, these young men, they've been eating well. The assumption is that if they only eat that which comes from seed, they're not going to be fit, they're not going to be healthy, and yet they end up being just that. They end up getting to pass the test and getting to not defile themselves with the food. We'll talk about more there, uh, but just to finish this chapter out with me. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, 
He found them 10 times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Well, what we have in, in Daniel chapter one is a really unique situation, right? And, and, and Daniel is frequently held up to us as an example of somebody who is in a culture that is not his own and yet lives faithfully in the midst of it. And that's really what I want us to take away from this time in the book of Daniel. I want us to see the example of Daniel. I want us to see the example of his friends, Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. I want us to look at them and say, how did they do this? And I want us to understand how we can do the same thing. And so this morning, that's basically what we're gonna be looking at. What does it take? What do they do that enables them to live faithfully in their culture, in their time and place. But I also don't want us to miss this. Daniel is not just here for us as an example. Daniel is ultimately not the hero of the book of Daniel. Like every other book in the Bible, there's a different hero than the guy we see talked about. The hero of the book of Daniel is God himself. And as we walk through this book, what we're going to see is countless times where we are pointed forward to a better hero than Daniel, a more faithful one, somebody who truly is living in a sojourn type place. He's living in exile, and yet he's completely faithful throughout. Who am I talking about? Which church? You can give the church answer. It's Jesus, right? It's like the, it's like the little kid in Sunday school Right? And his teacher's talking on, and she says, all right, kids, now, what has brown fur and four paws and gathers nuts and stores them for the winter? Well, none of the kids are answering, and she says, come on, you know the answer. And one kid says, well, we're in Sunday school, so I know the answer is Jesus, but that sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> Jesus is the answer. Right? And when we look at Daniel, we should expect to see that Jesus is the answer. We should expect to find here this encouragement to point us to Christ, and we will, and we do. We're going to be looking at both. We're going to be looking at Daniel's example. We're going to be looking at the example of Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, and we're going to be thinking about our own times. But as we walk through this, let's not miss Jesus. Let's understand this is his story and our story as Christ followers, is meant to be his story as well. Uh, so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at just two things, two things. Now, some of you who've heard me preach before, you say, there's no way. We're only going to look at two things. But no, we're going to look at two things. The first one has three subpoints, and the second one has four subpoints. <laughs> All right, but this, I promise this is easy. This is easy. So when we're looking at our lives, when we're looking at what does it look like for us to walk between two worlds, what does it look like for us to live faithfully, the first thing you need to understand is we have to remember. We have to remember. Daniel and his friends are a clear example of this. Daniel and his friends are a clear example of this, but this is really vital for us as well. We, in order to live faithfully, don't need our best ideas we don't need all the creativity in the world. Fundamentally, first and foremost, what we need is to remember. Now, there's some specific things that I think Daniel and his friends remember that we ought to take as well for ourselves. We should remember where we're going, 
right? If we're gonna live faithfully in this time between two worlds, we need to remember which one is our destination. What is the reality that we are walking towards? Right? When we, we see Daniel and his friends and, and we see that these guys, they are, what? From the royal family and from the nobility. These are literally, literally the remnants of the royal line. Depending on the succession, depending on how things shook out, these are the guys that could have been on the throne. Had it not been for Babylon coming and conquering them, Daniel or Hananiah or Mishael, any of these guys, they could have ended up on the throne. They're leaders in their country. And they could, they get called, they get pulled away to Babylon, but they don't forget where they're going. Now, that sounds strange. They're living in a foreign land. They've been captured. They're, they're literally being called to serve their oppressors. And yet, I'm telling you, they're remembering where they're going because as members of the nobility, as, as people who grew up in the royal house, they would have been in Jerusalem. They would have lived there in the, in the royal city, the city of David, the place where God's people had the center of their kingdom. And they would have heard this crazy street preacher. Not a guarantee, but almost with certainty, they would have heard something about this guy named Jeremiah. Now that's a name you guys should be familiar with. What's the longest book in the Bible? Jeremiah. Psalms has more chapters, Jeremiah has more words, all right? So we give the credit to Jeremiah. Jeremiah would have been preaching at the exact same time that Daniel and his buddies were there in Jerusalem. It's likely they would have heard him preach or at least heard of what he preached. One of the things that Jeremiah preached was that in 70 years, the people who had been carried off into exile would be returning to Jerusalem. Now, Daniel and his buddies are probably teenagers about this time. They're, they're probably in their teens. There's a chance that 70 years in exile is going to prove too much. There's a chance they may not live to see that return, but that's their hope. Jeremiah said, thus says the Lord, 70 years, you're going to be in Babylon, but then you're coming back. When we get to Daniel chapter nine, we'll see Jeremiah actually sent a letter to the exiles. He sent a letter to Babylon from Jerusalem and he said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Well, that, that's why this, that letter wasn't written to us, it was written to them. The plans were, you're gonna be there 70 years, but then you get to come home. And so Daniel and his friends know where they're going. They remembered what was going to be their end result. If they survived, it was possible they would get to go home. Brothers and sisters, we're not from here. And we're not going to be here forever. Not in this current reality, not in this current experience. We have an incredible hope that because of Christ, who came once for the redemption of mankind and who is coming again for the restoration of God's kingdom through the new heavens and new earth, we know that's where we're going. We know that Revelation 20 and 21 are not there on accident. We know that the encouragement for us is to look forward to where we're going. 
Where we're going is a place where God himself will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, no more sadness, no more sorrow. For the former things have passed away and God himself will be with them, will be their God and they will be his people. Daniel and his friends there in a foreign land clung to the promise of God that the destination for the people of God was not exile forever, was not Babylon forever. 70 years, God's judgment would reign. And at the end of that 70 years, the people would be able to return. Friends, we have a destination. And if we're going to be faithful here, it's imperative that we remember where we're going. It's also important that we remember where we're at, right? It's important that we remember where we are at. How many of you have heard the phrase, so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good? Anybody? All right, this is the point where some of y'all are falling asleep. So raise your hand if you've heard that phrase. Okay, if you haven't, you've just heard me say it. Of so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Well, that's not possible. That's not possible, first off. If we truly understand heaven, then we understand its implications for here. That, the Jesus, when, when, that Jesus, when he was asked by the disciples, how should we pray? He said, pray this way. Lord, your will be done here as it is there, right? But we are here. And the reason we pray for God's will to be done here as it is there is because right now we look around and it's not being done. We live in a world that is increasingly full of despair and hopelessness. We live in a world where it is difficult for people who don't have the hope of the gospel to have any hope at all. There is nothing but distraction on the one hand or despair on the other that's open to those who do not recognize that Christ is sitting on his throne. And so we come into the midst of that and we come and we do the same things. We distract ourselves. We talk about our despair. Well, what are we giving to people? That's not what Daniel and his friends do. Instead, we see that they are given this incredible opportunity to bear witness to their hope, to tell their captors about the God of Israel. They know where they're at, but that doesn't mean that they do all the things of where they're at. One of the key things for them was remembering where they're at, knowing that everything comes with a string attached. Everything comes with a string attached. Why is it that Daniel and his friends say, we can't drink the wine and we can't drink, or we can't eat the meat? Why is it? It's not just that they like broccoli, okay? It's not just that they really don't like to eat sheep. No, they like those things, but they know where they're at. They can't eat the meat without also recognizing this meat has been sacrificed in the name of a false god. They can't drink the wine without recognizing that all of the wine was first and foremost devoted to the king and his royal divine lineage. They say, we can't do that. There's strings attached. Friends, we need to remember where we're at. We live in a time and place where all sorts of options are put in front of us. All sorts of goods are put in front of us. Let me submit to you, most of the time, those goods are good. They're acceptable, but we have to recognize because of where we're at, some of them 
are tainted by association with the idols of this age. Some of them bear that burden of being associated with things that are not corresponding to the kingdom of God. And so we have to think carefully and critically about things that are coming, not just accept everything that comes down the pike because the culture says it's good. Social media can be good. Somebody said this week, Brandon, you're a lot more active on social media. I'm like, how? I don't have social media. They're like, well, you're doing like the, the sermon recaps and, and, the, and the sermon preview thing and you're doing this, that, and the other. Well, I'm not on social media. But I recognize it's a tool. It can be good. But it can also be not good. And when it becomes God, it's most certainly evil. Are we thinking that way? about the shows we watch? Are we thinking that way about the entertainment we consume? Are we thinking that way about the time that we devote to sports? Are we distracting ourselves? Are we joining our culture, despairing over politics, arguing about red and blue and election cycles and is this the best we can do? Or are we in the midst of this saying, we're gonna take Recognizing where we're at, we're going to take the good we can, we're going to reject the rest, and we're going to point people to Jesus. That's what Daniel and his friends do. When in verse 12, they don't, they don't demand that they can only eat vegetables. They propose it as a test. They know that they don't have the power. They know that they're not in control. So he says, oh, let's just try this out. It's a very humble way of approaching things. We'll talk more about that in a second. Finally, we need to remember who's in charge. It looks like Nebuchadnezzar's in charge. It looks like Babylon's in charge. And yet at pains throughout this is the point that God is doing this. Jeremiah prophesies before any of this happens, you're going to get captured. You're going to go to Babylon. Well, how can he do that? Because he's speaking for the God who's actually in charge. It says Nebuchadnezzar shows up and he conquers uh, Judah or excuse me, conquers Jerusalem but it's because, verse two, the Lord handed it over. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't have any power. God's in charge. God is trying to wake his people up. He's trying to get their attention. Nebuchadnezzar is just a tool, right? They need to recognize this. God is in charge. It's interesting how it says this uh, there in verse two. It talks about the house of God. In, in Hebrew, there's a definite article attached to that. House of the God. And then he contrasts that with the house of his God. There is one, the God, no matter how many little g gods are running around. God is in charge in every single point of this. We recognize that. At every single point in chapter one, we see it's God who's doing this. God who gives favor to Daniel and his friend. God who gives kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch to them. God who is sovereign over everything that is happening. How much more true is that for us? Look, look, this, is, this, this might be enough to blow some of y'all's minds. Daniel has a book in the Bible with his name on it. Daniel received revelation directly from God, and we'll get to it as we walk through this series. And yet you and I know more about God, you and I have better access to God 
than Daniel ever dreamed of. Think about that for a second. Daniel is one of the Old Testament prophets. Daniel heard directly from God. How in the world could you or I, everyday citizens that we are, know more about God than he does? Because of Hebrews chapter one. In the former days, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This son who we're told is the perfect representation of his glory. This one who is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ came and you and I now know more about the character and nature of God than Daniel did. It gets better. Jesus says, look, I'd love to stay, but it's better for you if I go. Why is it better if he goes? Because he says, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. And Christ follower, you, if you are in Christ, have the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God, not with you occasionally, with you all the time. Who's in charge? It's not the Democrats, it's not the Republicans. It's not the US, it's not Russia, it's not the liberals, it's not the left, it's not the right, it's not the conservatives, it's God. And you and I have access to him daily. You and I have the full revelation of God and you and I ought to be mindful of that. We remember who's in charge. So we're trying to be faithful between two worlds. We remember where we're going. New heavens, new earth, God with his people. Remember where we're currently at. We're in a world that is in desperate need of the hope that you and I should possess and we need to remember who's in charge, Jesus. God himself is in charge. So what do we do? Same thing that Daniel and his friends did, we keep going. This is point two for those of you keeping track at home. And I have two minutes. We keep going. Now, this seems really simple. Remember and keep going. That's all that faithfulness is. That's all it is. Remembering those things that it's so easy for us to forget and to continue doing what we're supposed to do. So we see this in Daniel here. There's a couple different things. First off, they walk in humility. Right? They're, they're not coming in there, guns blazing. Right? They're not coming in there like, you guys may have won the battle, but we're going to win the war. 70 years from now, chief eunuch, you're not going to be having control of us anymore. We're going home. No, they come in there and in humility, they say, hey, let's try something. Look, we're here. We're, we're committed at this point. And so we're going to be humble about it. Yes, we have a direct line with God. Yes, we are God's people. That doesn't mean we've got to be jerks. And so they keep going, but they keep going quietly. They keep going faithfully. They keep going humbly. The same ought to be true for us. In Thessalonians, Paul writes to the believers there and he says, look, this is your goal. Make it your ambition to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands that you might be dependent on no one. That's just walking in humility. That's all Daniel and his friends are doing. They're giving God the credit all the time. They're never pointing at themselves and saying, look how good we are. 
with our diet regimen and our workout schedule? No, this is just who we are and this is who God is and we're here for now and so we're gonna be humble about it in the meantime. They go together, right? If we wanna be faithful, not only do we need to be humble, but we also need to go with friends. If we're gonna keep going, we've gotta have some people going with us. You guys have heard the saying, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. Daniel and his friends are not looking at a, a one month sojourn. For most of them, it's likely gonna be they die in Babylon. Is this a possibility they might live long enough to go back to Jerusalem? If you wanna go fast, go alone. If you wanna go far, go together. We need one another. And we don't just need one another sitting across from, or sitting beside one another in this room. We don't just need one another here in this moment listening to some dude on a stage talking. We need each other Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Let me ask you this, do you have a circle? Do you have people that you are going with? If not, how in the world do you expect to make it to the end? How in the world do you expect to be faithful all the way through if you're trying to go it alone? The New Testament, the gospel, knows nothing of a Lone Ranger Christian. We need each other. We're dependent on one another. This is why we encourage you to get involved in a small group. This is why I would encourage you, if you have been attending service here, but you have not gone to a Sunday school class yet, do it. It's not, it's not a display of weakness. It's a display of wisdom to recognize I need some other people if I'm gonna be faithful in this moment, in, the, in this world in which I live. Not only that, another thing we see, if we're gonna keep going, we've gotta have the courage to compromise. There it hit, okay, I saw it. Just a second there, some of you thought I said the courage not to compromise. How many of you guys have heard the phrase, dare to be a Daniel? What that usually means is dare to be the one who doesn't go with the crowd. Well, yes, Daniel doesn't go with the crowd every time, but it's amazing how often he does. Have the courage to compromise. We live in a day where increasingly every decision is put into a binary point. If you're not left, you're on the right. If you're not on the right, you're on the left, right? If you're not saying exactly the same thing that I'm saying, then you're obviously the devil and I wish you'd die. We live in such a divided era because nobody's saying, well, hold on a second, let's actually have a conversation. Let's talk about this. Daniel and his friends say, hey, let's try something. You don't hear that in our day and age today. You, you don't see the center anymore. In order to keep going, Daniel recognizes, hey, it's okay if we eat the vegetables. We can't go with you on the meat and on the wine, sacrifice to idols, but we can go with you this far. We're gonna be part of the program. Look, look at this at the, at the end of this. So they attended the king. They began to attend the king, verse 19. Which king? Oh, you know, the one that had killed their family. The one that had carried them off from their home and stolen all the stuff that belonged to their God. Yeah, they began to attend him. That means they began to serve him. That's crazy. 
How dare they compromise? Well, because it wasn't compromise. They stood for their values when they knew it would defile them. They stood strong when they needed to, but when they didn't need to, they served even their enemies. Now, what does that sound like? You've heard that it was said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn the other to them as well. All Daniel and his friends are doing could look like compromise in our divided age. And if you and I are faithful to their example and faithful to Christ who calls us, it could look like compromise if we're willing to engage in a conversation with somebody who thinks differently than we do. If we're willing to grant the benefit of the doubt to somebody who's come to a different conclusion than us, not assume that they're evil, but assume that, oh, maybe they thought about it and they just came to a different conclusion. It's gonna look like compromise and it's gonna take courage. Because when you find yourself saying, let's get in the center, you're gonna take shots from both sides. As Christ followers, we should not be known as right or left. We should be known as his. And there should be some things about us that really tick off the Democrats. And there should be some things about us that really tick off the Republicans. Because we're not here for that. We're serving something greater, a kingdom that is not of this world. Jesus himself calls us to this. Daniel and his friends display this. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. The final thing that I think if we're going to keep going is we have to be willing to plod. I love that word. Plod. The older I get, the more I value plodding. You know, like when you're young, you want to go fast. You want to get there. I just drove 17 and a half hours on Monday with three children in the car. Are we there yet? I've grown inc increasingly comfortable with just plodding. We'll get there when we get there. But I don't, I don't think that we ought to plod in cynicism. Well, this is just the best we got, Eeyore, mope our way through to the kingdom of God, no. We ought to be plodding in hope. We ought to be looking at where we're going and looking at who's in charge and looking where we're at and we ought to say, this is going to take a while. Oh, but oh, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be incredible. We can continue putting one foot in front of the other at whatever slow pace we're walking because of what's coming. I love... Hebrews 12, verses one and two. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, you get that word run and you think sprint. That's not what he's talking. He's talking about like a marathon. I don't know if y'all have ran a marathon before, but you don't sprint a marathon. You plod a marathon. Well, I plod anyways. <laughs> this is not a speed. This is an endurance thing, but it's always with this, keeping our eyes on Jesus 
the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, we have every reason to hope. If hope is what got Jesus through the cross, surely hope is enough to get us through this plodding journey that we're on. We remember We keep going because of hope. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for the encouragement of Daniel and I thank you so much for the encouragement of Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would be those who are faithful to remember you. That we would be faithful to stay true not to our best ideas, not to our preferences, but stay true to your word. Stay true to the hope that we have through Christ. Lord, I pray that your people today, that we would respond to you with hope. God, guide us as we walk through this life. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. We pray it in Jesus' name.